Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. It's the Stinkin' Truth Podcast with Mark Schlereth. Presented by Sweet Sweat. Hey guys, welcome into the Stinkin' Truth Podcast. Your host, Mark Schlereth, along with my co-host, Mike Evans. Scott DeHuff producing the show. Want to thank our presenting sponsors, Great folks over at Sweet Sweat for all your exercise, uh, for all your supplement needs. The Sweet Sweat, I'm, I listen, man. I mean, look at me. <laughs> the picture of health. I have dropped 23 pounds in the last, what, 10 weeks. And a lot of that thanks to Sweet Sweat. Use the Sweet Sweat belt. Use the uh, supplements, the pre and post workout, you name it. Uh, I've been killing it in the gym. 23 pounds I've lost. God, I hate doing this, but. You're looking good. Well, here's the deal, Mike. Oh, God. Okay, so here's what I happened. I apologize, to me. America. This is my fault. So I, I opened re- the door. No, you did open the door. So I, I just, I mean, I, there's always a backstory, right? You've got you've to be able to, to paint the picture for the folks. They're like, how did you lose 23 pounds, right? And, you know, my, the easy answer is like, take your pin out because I'll give you the easier answer, right? All right, sit, pull your car over. Right? Take your pen out. Get your paper out. All right? Here's how you lose 23 pounds. Stop eating. <laughs> okay, that's the no- number one. That's number one. All right, makes sense. But the exercise has been really good. I, do, I don't I do do cardio. I do kind of lifting cardio. So I do circuit training, and I keep my heart rate up for – I do my whole body three times a week, and I'm in there for – 45 to 55 minutes, and it is, it's ball busting, man. I just go. I go. You put me on one of those last winter. Yeah. And I just go, I just go to town. So, anyhow, I've dropped 23 pounds. A lot of that thanks to my friends at Sweet Sweat. So, check them out at sweetsweat.com. They've got the exercise equipment, they've got the supplements, they've got everything you can possibly need. And then our other corporate sponsor, our other presenting sponsor, the great folks at Superbook, America's best bet. And Jay Cornegay from Superbook is going to join us to critique our picks, which I am uh, currently absolutely whipping your ass in the picks against the spread. All right, all right. Well, d- d- nice hyperbole. We'll get to that a little bit later on. But, right. uh, hey, as, as, as we uh, take your cue and work out hard, Good to know that if I happen to do anything to my ribs, I'm going to turn to the Chargers doctor to make it all go go away. How about how about? I have never at least years ago. So be- those that don't know the story, right. Tyrod Taylor suffered a rib injury. He in, broke in, two ribs in, in week, week one. one. So played the rest of the game with it. He so broke he's broke him in the first quarter. Played the rest of the game. So he's getting ready for week two against the Chiefs, 
And like a lot of players do, he, he was going to take a needle, a painkilling shot. Mm-hmm. And the doctor, in the process of administering the needle to the ribs, punctured a lung. He couldn't breathe. Yes. And as a result, Justin Herbert found out uh, 10 seconds before, hey, kid, get out there. Yeah, by the way, you're going to play, which is probably a good thing to all of a sudden you're just in uh, in the game. Like, I mean, how about that? No Being time prepared, to good for him He because he did a phenomenal job and took them into overtime where they lost to the Chiefs on a 58-yard field goal, for crying out loud. But, yeah, I have been in that locker room. Now, I've never had my – I've never had a rib injury that required um, a shot. Like, I didn't break any ribs while I was playing, but I've been around it, and it's always one of those things the doctors are very leery about. They'd rather you just have to be able to put up with the pain, but especially for a thrower, man, it is, I mean, it, one, it's excruciating. It's hard to breathe when your ribs are broken. It's very painful, and so they always warn, like, hey, this is a very sensitive area. It's very close to the lungs, and you can puncture a lung trying to numb up the ribs, and and I've been around it. I've seen I've seen plenty of guys get shot up, plenty of guys get their ribs shot up, but there's always that thing like like anytime you have surgery, you know, they always say, "Hey, you know there are certain complications, you know, blah 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 and death." You know, and they're like, "What? Death is I didn't know death was a complication." But I had back surgery once. Like this is funny. This is actually a funny story. Um and I'll get back to Tyrod Taylor, but I had back surgery um, I had L5-S1, I hernia of both sides. So they put you on this table where you're laying. There's a hole where they're going to operate through in the table around where your back is, right? So they put you in there, and it's like you're sitting in a chair, only you're laying down. So your feet are up, and they strap you down. They strap this strap around your like chest and around your waist and around your legs. And then they flip you upside down. So they put you out. They knock you out. Then they flip you upside down, and you're hanging upside down. To, so it opens up your back, and then you hang there while they do your back. Well, I was in surgery for four hours. So I come out of surgery, and I don't have any feeling in my hands, either of my hands. So the doctor comes around, and um, and, and now it's been like it's been like six hours. I have no feeling in my hands. Like You know how you fall asleep on the couch, and your hand just falls asleep, and you kind of flop it off over the edge of the couch and let it hang to, down by the carpet until the blood comes back in it? That's how both of my hands were. And so I'm I'm like six, eight hours after surgery, my hands are still completely numb. I got nothing. And so the doctor comes around to check on me, and I'm like, hey, uh, doc, uh, like uh, both of my hands are completely numb. Uh, like, when will that come back? And like, what happened? He goes, well, when we strap you in, he goes, that strap sometimes pushes on a nerve. And, you know, you're a heavier guy, pushes on the nerve, and it, you know, it, it, it deadens the nerve and your hands go numb. I go, well, uh, you know, when does it come back? He goes, you know, sometimes it never does. Oh, jeez. <laughs> That's what he said to me. Sometimes it never comes completely back. And I go, dude, I need to feel my hands. I mean, I'm still planning on playing, right? I was planning on coming back this year. We're having a great year. So there's always these concerns oh, that happen to you. It, my, my right hand came back, you know, within about 12 hours. My left hand was numb for several days. Seriously? Yes, yeah, several days before it actually came back and I got full feeling in my hand. But, you know, he's like, ah, sometimes they never come back. You never know. You never know, right? I mean, the doctor had a bad day. Oh, punctured your lung. Well, you'll never be the same. No, you just sound like if Colin Coward was a doctor. Yeah. Sometimes lungs get punctured. They do. They do. Yeah. <laughs> uh well, yeah, so okay, so that, that's what happened Cra- there. Crazy, though, and now that's how Justin Herbert, if that is your name, A-Bear, 
Uh, that's how Justin Herbert gets his first start in the NFL. That's and he and he you look he uh, he performed really well. Does it does it almost make things easier now for the Chargers because he's in there and it's going to be a little bit of time before Taylor comes back and it's almost like hey now we just skip past the inevitable which was we were eventually going to go to this kid anyway. Well, I think this allows us to do it. Sucks for you, Tyrod Taylor, but I think that there's an internal struggle between Tom Telesco, the GM and Anthony Lynn, the head coach. Anthony Lynn has a real affinity for Tyrod Taylor. He really likes him. He thinks that he is a a you know a playoff-worthy quarterback. He went to the playoffs in Buffalo with Anthony Lynn being the offensive coordinator. So he has a lot of faith and a lot of belief, and coaches generally trust veterans anyhow. Um, we'll see. Like, we'll see if – because most of the time, when a new quarterback comes in that you don't know anything about, ultimately what happens to defensive coordinators is they go vanilla. Because they're not sure. They're like, I don't know what his strengths are. I don't know what his weaknesses are. Let's just make him, like, let's just make him, you complete eight passes uh, in a drive to, 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 if he can do that and score, then, then, you know, we'll tip our cap to him. So what's going to start to happen is is people will start breaking down that film and saying, hey, listen, man, he's not great at this or he didn't see this. And they'll start game planning specifically for him. So we'll see if he can continue to play at a high level or if he drops a little bit. That'll be the interesting part. But I just feel like if it is Anthony Lynn's call, when Tyrod Taylor's lung is no longer collapsed, <laughs> um, I think he'll get that job back. For a while, anyhow. Can we uh, can we just fast forward to Monday night and get to the Ravens and Chiefs? How, how about it? You know, we always hear the well. This is the game of the year. Mm-hmm. I, I can't think of a better matchup. Ravens I, Chiefs. Yeah, I am. I'm 100 percent with you on that. I mean, you think about. I mean, one the Ravens just bludgeon you. This will be really interesting, Mike. This will be a really interesting thing because. Here's what ends up happening to you when you play the Ravens, okay? They bludgeon you with the running game and with their running quarterback, and and obviously he's throwing the ball and he's doing all those things. But they are so uniquely built. I call them a heavy spread team. And they're so uniquely built in their running game. They get such such unbelievable matchups. You know, they get the they get if you cut the ball in half or cut the field in half, they get these five on fours or these six on four blocking matchups because of their quarterback's ability to run. So they do a great job with that, all the play-action stuff that comes off of that. They're they're exceptional at it, Mike. And what ends up happening is they drive the ball down, they possess it for seven and a half minutes, they score a touchdown, and you're down 7 nothing. And you know what ends up happening to you as the opponent? You start counting drives in your head. You're like, well, shit, the average game is 12 drives. They just ate seven and a half minutes up. We're going to get one possession in the first quarter. We might get two in the second quarter. Like, we're down to seven or eight possessions. And so what happens is you get out of sync. And instead of just treating it as seven to nothing, you're like, it's seven to nothing, but we feel like we're down 14 to nothing, and we only have eight possessions or seven possessions. And so you start doing things that you shouldn't do. You start taking chances that you shouldn't take. You don't adhere to a run game. And then we Martindale, they're so they're so complementarily built, if that's a word. Um, it should be if it's not. It just should be. Wink Martindale is 
this ultra aggressive, like at the end of the day, man, I'm going to go home and have a beer and know that, you know, I emptied the canister on these sons of bitches. Like that's how he operates. And so they're going to have zero blitz. They're going to come after you. Um, and try to steal possessions from you on that side of the ball as well. And you're more apt to take a few more chances because you already feel like, oh, shoot, we're running out of game. It's the first quarter, and you feel like you're running out of game. Now, that said, Kansas City may be the one uniquely built team to counter that because they're a team that's down by 10, 12, 14 all the time, and they're like, well, I can, I can, our possessions only take a minute and 12 seconds. So, so what? We're down to eight possessions. We'll score, you know, six touchdowns, and it'll take us, you know, 22 minutes of possession time. Like, they don't care if they're if they're out-possessed 20 to 40. You know, it just doesn't really matter to them because they can score so quick. So, you're 100% right. This matchup is so freaking intriguing because of, of those two factors. Most teams, I mean, most teams just take a dump in their helmets when they play the Ravens because... They get caught up in the possessions. They get caught up in in the way they run the ball. They get caught up in watching Lamar Jackson do what he does, um, and and they fall right into the trap. And that's what it is. It's a trap. That's so how they like? do it. Where's the game? Is it in Baltimore? Mm-hmm. I like the Ravens. Yeah. Okay. I, they're just such a well, physical. And, it, and it's just, you know, for a team like the Ravens that they're trying to get there. You know, they're trying to get yes. what the Chiefs have. and. They're still stung by what happened to them in the playoffs again last year. I think mm-hmm. there's just a there's a hunger, there's a, a point to be made attitude about the Ravens that the Chiefs are like, you know, man, are we are we ready to match that kind of intensity in Week Three? Right. Probably not. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Let's go with the Ravens. There there are some really intriguing matchups. I'll tell you one that that all of a sudden I, I look at a lot differently than I did just a. A week or so, or so ago, Patriots Raiders. You know Cam Newton's performance in a loss has me looking at the Patriots differently, mm-hmm. and what the Raiders just did to the Saints has me looking at the Raiders differently. You? Yeah, the Raiders are interesting to me because I was I was calling a game in twenty my first year calling games for Fox. I think it was twenty seventeen, and um, and you know I'm sitting in Gruden's, I'm sitting in Oakland in in their you know in their facility and. Talking to Gruden and and uh, or wherever their facility is, is is I don't know exactly where it was, but um, I'm talking to Gruden. I'm talking to you know uh, I'm talking to several other coaches that I know on their staff. Um, um, Paul Gunther is their defense coordinator. I'm talking to to him, and you know we just have this conversation about what what's it going to take, and this is something, and you know this is, you know I'm about to be very. Um, complimentary of the Oakland Raiders, which for me is like eating a, a turd sandwich. All right, so, but I'm going to do it because, so much so that you still call them Oakland, right? So, but well, that was when they were in Oakland. Now I know they're the Vegas Raiders. Don't get me they'll caught, always be the Oakland Raiders. Don't get me caught just up. Just like on the semantics. Chargers will always be the San Diego Chargers. So I just as evidenced by the fact that you just can't call them the LA Chargers. No. Even when you're calling just, the game in I just LA, call the Chargers. You call them say, the yeah, Chargers. Sorry, the Chargers. All right, the so Chargers. this is the Raiders. So we're we're back on the Raiders. So here's what I respect. There's so many teams that kick the can down the road. That's it. Well, that's one of your terms that I've I've taken. You are my intellectual property, so I can take that. But there's so many teams that won't admit 
that, man, we got to blow this thing up and start over from scratch. And we got to decide what we're going to be and who we want to be and what, what that is. And I see teams, I see the team that I cover here in Denver consistently. We're just a quarterback away. We're a couple of wide receivers away. If we just had some more speed, if we just had, and it's, it's, you know, it, you're selling a bill of goods that's not true. It just isn't. And the Raiders, in this conversation I'm having, they're like, hey, listen, we understand what we are. Like, we're going to fight and we're going to, you know, we're going to coach our butts off and everything else, but we've got to strip it down to the studs and rebuild it. And that's what we're willing to do. And we're going to do that over the next two years so that when we get to Vegas in 2020, we're going to have a competitive football team. And so Mike Mayock, and I've talked to Mike Mayock about this last year. I talked to him on the field. I was calling a um, a uh, Minnesota game last year. And Mike said, you know, you have to understand my belief system. My dad was an O-line coach. I believe in building a team from the inside out. I believe that's what matters the most, having a dominant offensive line and a dominant front seven. And that's the way we're going to build this damn thing. And they trade away Khalil Mack, which, you know, is almost counterintuitive. But they're like, we don't, we're, we're at this point, at this juncture, we can't pay him all that money when we have to invest in other places. And we're going to get our draft picks. And so, again, offensive line, free agency, draft. They went out and got Jacobs, the running back, to complement that offensive line. Um, you know, they they drafted defensive ends. That, that's what they did. Like, that's how they built this team from the inside out. And you look at them right now, the first two weeks, they have absolutely dominated the line of scrimmage. Dominated, especially on the offensive side of the ball, Mike. And they haven't even had their free agent acquisition in Trent Brown. He's been hurt. They've done it with a, a rotating, you know, a rotating platoon at the right tackle position. And, like, they're legitimately for real. And... Like I, I applaud them for at least admitting one. We got to change our culture. We're going to bring back John Gruden. We're going to give him a big time deal, and we're going to trust him to blow this thing up. It's the same thing that happened in San Francisco. I talked to the owner of the San Francisco 49ers, and he said it was really hard to hear when Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch came to him and said, "You aren't any good." Like it's gonna be a couple of years. We're gonna have to blow this thing up and start over. It's gonna be, but we're not. We're not talented. We're not. Good. We don't have enough talent. And he said, as an owner, it's really hard to hear that and to accept it and to understand that you know, for a couple of years, we're not gonna win a lot of games. But I'm gonna trust the process, and we're gonna build the team the right way, and we're gonna get players that match our skill set and our and our system. And eventually, three years into this. You're going to see the light at the end of the tunnel. Why don't more teams admit that they're rebuilding? Because being in this business for as long as I have, I've, I think I've got a pretty good sense of how fans think. Fans love the idea of tomorrow. Fans love the idea of the promise of the young player and being able to watch the young player and what they'll turn out to be. They, they love youth movements mm -hmm. and, and what they could end up being. So... Why don't more teams just come out and tell their fans, look, hey, you know, this this is what we're doing? Right. Get behind it. Got a lot I, of exciting new things coming. I guess they're 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 afraid of the pain involved and they're afraid of commitment. Like to be able to do that, right? Like I always say that a youth movement oftentimes is uh, you know, the equivalent of a bowel movement. It's, you know, it's a, a pretty crappy experience. And 
I, I think you just have to understand that there is going to be some growing pains with that. But here's the deal. You know, we are so apt to fire coaches, right? As soon as something doesn't go our way, we're just going to fire them. And I think that when you start to really look at continuity and say, okay, here is our coach. Here is what he wants to be, right? And we're going to start as a front office understanding what he wants, and we're going to start making sure that we build our team through free agency and through the draft based upon what that head coach expectations are. There's always going to be evolution within that. There's always going to be some movement within that, Mike, but we have to figure out what we are. What is our, what is our identity, and can we draft players that fit? You know, there's a reason that the Pittsburgh Steelers on the defensive side of the ball have been so good, I mean sublime, at drafting edge rushers and linebackers because they've had the same organizational philosophy for 20 years, right? This is what we are. And they run that same, you know, zone blitz style of dogs and blitzes and all that stuff that they've run forever. And their scouts and their coaches have seen what that player looks like. And so when they go into the college ranks, they can project, ah, this guy fits what we do. He has a skill set that is perfectly in sync with what we like to do. And you can't do that when you're changing your coach every two years. You you just can't. And and just so many teams are not willing to go down that road. They just can't. They want to, hey, we're selling season tickets and we're selling hope all the time. And ultimately, the real hope is being sold in, hey, guys, we're going to blow this damn thing up because it sucks. We're going to get somebody that we really believe in, and, and we're going we're gonna to stay the course. And you know how our society is, right? I mean, we don't want – I mean, we want disposable diapers, man. That's what we want. We want water in a bottle. We don't want to – hey, I could, heaven forbid – I got to walk to the cabinet and grab a glass and open up the tap. Ho, 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 that's way too hard. When I can just get a plastic bottle out of the fridge, it's full of cold water. Like That's what we want. And, and that's really ultimately what the owners want. And you know what's easier to do for the owners? Instead of blowing up their whole roster that sucks, what's easier for the owners is to go, where's the next, you know, 36-year-old who can – text with the players and is an offensive genius. I mean, that just gives you straight Viagra wood for an 80-year-old owner. Like, that is just, whoa! You know? Sean McVay. Right. Wood. Right. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, I didn't want to paint that image out there for all you uh, McVay and Ram fans. But you know what I'm saying. That's yeah. how they no, offer no, it. No, that's how, it's the next big thing. Yeah. It's always the next big And, you know, it's funny because the, the only thing that I think we enjoy as fans – Doing more is 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 overhyping and building up young players. I think the only thing maybe we enjoy more is to be the first to be able to jump out and identify the decline of somebody who was once great. Yeah, and you know I'm looking at the Saints and the Packers, and you know Aaron Rodgers is already serving notice that hey, there's still a lot there. Yeah, but Drew Brees, Drew Brees is is having to answer a lot of questions. About, hey, dude, is there anything left? Or are we watching a, a right. serious decline with Drew Brees? Or you already have one foot in the booth. 
Yeah. Are you, are you already working for NBC? Yeah, exactly. I, I just always find it. I always find it fascinating, Mike, that we are so in such a hurry to write people's obits. Yep. Like, I mean, Tom Brady. They've been writing Tom Brady's obit for how many years now? Six, seven years. Right. They just keep writing it. And you brought up this interesting fact. I'm going to use this on the telecast. We're going to try to work this in. Just depends how the game goes. You never know if it's going to go this way. But it's an interesting. Why don't you tell the folks what you what you gave me that I'm going to steal you as are my steal. own? So at least that for one brief moment, I can revel revel in. that this was my idea. Yeah. So what are you hearing about Brady? You're hearing that uh, hey Brady Brady doesn't uh, he can't connect with his receivers. They're not on the same page. Right. You know he's he's in decline. Okay. Yeah. Well, I was thinking back to when Peyton Manning came to Denver. And right from the moment he got here, there was a demand. It wasn't just accountability. He was demanding things. He would leave post-it notes in the uh, lockers of his Mm. receivers reminding guys that, hey, I want you to make that cut at 12 yards. Not 12 and a half. Not 13. I want it at 12. And there was all of a sudden this, this, this level of demands that the guys that were holdovers were like, wow, I've never seen anything like this, right? And so mm-hmm. it they didn't mesh. And this was a team in Denver with Peyton Manning that had an entire offseason, OTAs, mini camps, preseason. And you know what happened that year? They started two and three. Peyton Manning started two and three, had a terrible game in Atlanta where people were saying the same things about Peyton Manning that they're saying about Tom Brady right now. He's washed up. It's not going to fit. It's not going to work yeah, in Denver. Threw three interceptions in that game. As a matter of fact, in this in week six when they were two and three, they went down in the first half twenty four nothing to the Chargers. That's right, twenty four nothing. in Chargers four in the face. Right, and then they came back in the second half and absolutely put it on them. And then they didn't lose another game for the rest of the season. So my point is, for those who are trying to write off Tom Brady, Brady came in with the same meticulous sense of demands and accountability that right. Manning had, but no offseason, no OTAs, no preseason, jump right into the season, and what do you know? It doesn't look that good through the first couple right. of weeks. Well, you, you saw how it ended up with Peyton and the Broncos. Right. Beware before you write off Brady and the Bucks. Well, yeah, and beware before you write off Breeze, too, because think about this now, same thing. Yep. You haven't had all those reps, although you have the continuity of that offense, but Michael Thomas didn't play week two. He was hurt. Uh, Emmanuel Sanders is a holdover or a, a, a signee, excuse me, not a holdover, but a signee from a different team. So they haven't, you know, they haven't thrown but a handful of handful of routes together over the, you know, I mean, you, there's only so much you can do. So I also look at that one, Mike, is, uh, you know, pump your brakes on Drew Brees, you know, ready for the graveyard. I think he's going to be okay as well. It will happen. Father yeah. time is undefeated, but... Give these guys the the benefit of the doubt before you completely, yeah, you know. It's funny you said that because I said it on the broadcast. I go, I, I understand that Father Time is undefeated, but right now Brady has got Father Time in a chokehold <laughs> with his back to the canvas and he's getting near fall points. You know, this is my wrestling background. <laughs> right. he's, get, he's like, one, two, three. He's getting some near fall points. It will happen. I understand that it will happen, but it's not, it's not that Brady can't throw the football anymore. There's just a and the same thing that's going on with Breeze. There is a lack of the unwritten communication, unspoken communication, nonverbal communication between player and um, and you know between QB and 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 receiver. That when they find it, and they will, they're going to be a juggernaut, especially with Tampa Bay's defense because that defense is 
That defense is legit. Well, let's see how much you believe in that and whether or not you're ready to back it up with your money-making picks. Oh, yes. And you know who joins us right now? Our friend Jay Cornegay from Superbook, America's Best Bet, Jay Cornegay. You know, here to break down our picks, I am officially kicking your ass. Uh, it's a, it is a landslide right now. Okay, Jay, a land he's 3-3, three and, three and I'm 2-3-1. and one. It's a half a game. Jay, here's the deal, though. <laughs> here's the deal. I am 3-3, three and three, but I have not told you guys this yet. The first two weeks, because I felt bad, you know, my expertise and the fact that I'm an NFL analyst and I, oh, I travel around and call games and I've got the inside dope on a lot of things. I have been picking these games, and all right, I'm just going to be honest, with one eye closed. I've only been using one eye, and it's not even my good reading eye. It's my long-distance vision eye, so it's a little blurry when I pick them. So to be 3-3 three and three is pretty incredible, Jay. It, it is an incredible record, Mark. I, I, I guess I'm very impressed. <laughs> yeah. Mark, Mark, thanks to records like that, that's why we have all those shiny big buildings in Vegas. Yeah, yes, because yes. Of, because of guys like you who are kicking ass. Yes, guys like me <laughs> who are kicking ass and taking names. All right, Jay. Well, uh, here we go. You want to you – do I go first? You go first. Okay, yeah. I go first. All right, Jay, so – uh, here's what I'll do. I'll give you my three picks, and then you kind of assess where I am right now. Okay, so okay. here's my All first. Right. Here's my first pick. Um, the Rams. Uh, the Rams are they? Are the Rams at home or are they on the road? No, they're at Buffalo. They're at Buffalo, and they're getting two and a half. I like that. Listen, man, I am a big. I'm a what the Rams are doing, and I. I thought this was funny last year. You know, we got so many people, so many experts. Well, the league has finally caught up to Sean McVay, the underkind. You know, I mean, and, and they, you know, stop it. They trade. They they got rid of two fifths of their offensive line. They got rid of one of the most physical run blocking guards in football, and they're a downhill. I know it, they're disguised as a three wides. We're gonna throw it all over the the ballpark kind of football team, but they are a downhill running football team. They've got their identity back. They're they're playing really good football right. Now their quarterback's playing really good. Uh, I just like the Rams. I know the Bills are a tough defense, but I'm going to go with the Rams uh, getting the two and a half points. Then I saw what the Steelers did to the Broncos. I know it was a very close game. The Steelers minus four to the Texans. Um, I'm telling you what, the Steelers at home, that defense, the, the Blitzburg style of what they do, the matchups they create in that style. I like the Steelers' defense to hold uh, the Texans down. I'm going to go with the Steelers giving the four. And then the 49ers going across uh, cross country to take on the Giants. No Saquon Barkley. Giants are a little bit of a shambles. I know the, the 49ers had some injuries as well. But I just like that system. I like the way they run the ball. They can they can afford a couple of injuries. I'm going to take the 49ers um, giving up four to the Giants on the road. So there's my three picks, Jay. Um, those are lead pipe locks, obviously. You want to put all your money and your mortgage on those, right? Yeah, lead pipe, right. So I'm looking at, I'm looking at well, Mark, not too bad. You're, you're, you're staying true to yourself. You're one, one, and one. Um, looking at this, I, I can see why uh, the Rams are a popular pick this week. We've seen a lot of uh, public bets on a lot of tickets on the Rams, very popular. Always a very leery of a popular underdog in our world. I, I understand a lot of people are skeptical on the Bills you know, because of their two wins against the Jets and the Dolphins, but uh, understandable because the Rams looked so impressive last week against the Eagles. Or, yeah, against the Eagles. So I'm looking at the Bills there. 
Uh, as far as the Steelers, I get it. This, this line opened six. Now it's down to four. And I'm not sure why, but that is definitely sharp money coming in on the Texans. A little leery about that. And the 49ers, we all know how banged up these two teams are, especially the 49ers. One thing about this is the 49ers played last week in the same stadium, on the same field. All they did was complain about the, the field. They stayed in New York all week, complained about the field. This has to be in their heads. So I'm not sure how they're going to react to that, but uh, I wouldn't be surprised if the Giants pull an upset there. All right. So Jay just mm. completely pouring cold water all over your picks. I love it. <laughs> well, I love it. Yeah. Well, I love you it. know what? Uh, jealousy. It'll uh, eat you oh, up yeah, like I, acid. Yeah, guys. I'm sure he's It'll very. eat yeah. you up I'm, like acid. I'm sure Jay Cornegay is very uh, jealous <laughs> of uh, your ability to pick games. <laughs> hey, Jay, I'm really, I, before I get to my picks, I'm kind of curious. Um, we've always talked about how. Having a good Raiders team is good for the NFL. I'm curious, the arrival of the Raiders in Vegas and them off to a 2-0 start, how has has it sort of energized uh, the, the, the city a little bit? Oh, absolutely. I'm going to tell you, when back in 2016, when they made the playoffs and Carr got hurt right at the end, I mean, it totally caught us off guard. And this is well before they announced their moving to Las Vegas. So the Raiders are such a regional team around here. It really snowballed quickly. When they were having success four years ago, it was the biggest game in the sports books. It was, the bets just keep coming on, uh, coming on in these guys. They just supported the Raiders every single week. And we expect the same thing to happen here now that they're officially here. Uh, they're they're going to be real popular, especially if they have success. But it, it was a really big win for the city and uh, the team. Uh, on Monday night, and I can tell you that uh, it's it's not Raider crazy. It's not to the night level that we saw on, in their initial year, but if they keep winning, it will be there soon. Well, all right, I'll get to my picks. The Raiders are a six-and-a-half-point dog at uh, at Foxborough against New England. I, uh, I'm, I, I don't have a feeling either way on that one. I'm going to stay away from that one. But I'm going to start with um, your Broncos, uh, Jay. They, uh, they continue to take a lot of hits. With injuries, uh, it's amazing to me that they were actually in a position with the ball to perhaps beat the Steelers last week. But I think it's going to be a struggle this week. I think the Bucks are only going to continue to get better and better each week. So I'm going to take Tampa Bay giving up six in Denver. I'll take the Buccaneers. I'm going to take the uh, Ravens in the high-profile Monday night matchup. I'm going to take the Ravens minus a three and a half. I think this is uh, just one where the Ravens are just going to be throwing everything into it, and the Chiefs might have trouble matching that kind of intensity. I'll take the Ravens minus a three and a half. And my other one is the Eagles minus five over the Bengals. I just, you know, the Eagles season's kind of hanging in the balance. I think that that sense of desperation uh, lifts them. What say you? Well, Mike, I'm sorry, but, uh, you know, I'm looking at one and two here. Oh, here. no. <laughs> Even Mark got one, one, and one. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. Yeah, keep I going, Jay. Of- I knew I liked you for a reason, Jay. Go ahead. I got, I got a lot of cold water over here. Um, so, it, first off, let's look at the Eagles. I, I don't know what's going on in Philadelphia. What's wrong with this team? You know, I understand the first week because they're full of injuries, but then they got everybody back, a lot of people back, in week two, and they laid an A. Burrow's pretty solid. I'm going to say that this is going to be a very close game. Uh, you know, laying five uh, at this time, a lot of question marks. They're not playing well. It's very difficult. So look, at, uh, I'm looking at the Bengals side there. Buccaneers, I don't care if there's fans or there's no fans in Denver. It's always a tough place to play, okay? You come in here, you're laying six, 
Brady's record here, not that great. Uh, we understand the Broncos are all beat up, but, but I'm going to tell you, after the Raiders took it to the Saints, that that uh, loss by the Buccaneers at New Orleans isn't looking so good. I'm liking the Broncos plus six there. I'm with you, Mike, on the Ravens. Monday night, we're all looking forward to this game, probably the game of the year, and we think the Ravens are the best team in the NFL. I wish I got minus three, but they're minus three and a half now. It's not going to matter. Ravens are probably looking forward to this game more than the Chiefs. I think the Ravens come in there with a little chip on the shoulder trying to prove something, and uh, especially if they get out there early, they'll just run the ball right down the Chiefs' throat. All right, Jay. How about uh, any prop bets out there for us? You got anything uh, juicy that we might need to jump on? You know, I, I feel like fantasy football is kind of taking a back seat to all these prop bets and all these other things that you can do right now. Um, obviously, you was super book America's best bet. So, uh, anything going on prop bet wise that you uh, that you like? Well, we're we're gonna be posting all our prop bets for uh, you know we have some for the tomorrow night's game. Uh, or excuse me, uh, tonight's game. Yeah. And then we have, uh, we'll have some for the Sunday night game and Monday night game uh, starting tomorrow. But uh, you're right. It, it's, um, it, you know, the NFL is so popular here and, and people love watching, you know, football. They love betting football. And the numbers that people are seeing are, are just through the roof. So when you say, you know, fantasy football, I, I mean, I enjoy fantasy football. I play fantasy football, but it always takes a backseat to the real thing and betting always takes over and that's what we're seeing in some of these jurisdictions right now fantasy will always be part of the world but uh sports gambling uh and and betting is just more popular than ever right now all right jay hey man thanks so much for jumping on um i look forward to continuing my dominance over mike and uh and and the fact that you know you keep uh you keep you know Giving me the uh, the the check mark. Uh, I am uh, obviously way better at this than him. Hey Jay, thanks so much. That's Jay Cornegay from uh, Superbook, America's Best Bet. Thank you, buddy. All right, guys. All right, that pretty much does it for the uh, Stinking Truth podcast. By the way, um, just a side note, sidebar, real quick. How much extra money has Jerry Jones cost himself by not paying Dak Prescott when he probably could have got him? For Russell Wilson money, somewhere just under Russell Wilson at thirty-four million or whatever it is, now he's going to have to go up over uh, um, Watson, right? I mean, last week forty-seven attempts, completed a bunch of over seventy-two percent of his completions, um, over four hundred yards, one TD, no interceptions, and oh by the way, it was the first team since nineteen thirty-three to score thirty-nine points without a turnover. And lose the record 440 and 0 up to that point. The Atlanta Falcons, the poor Atlanta Falcons, they can't get over that Super Bowl hangover. I don't think they ever got over it. They never got over. Never got over 28 to 3. I don't think so. Anyhow, for everybody involved in the Stinking Truth podcast, for Mike, myself, for Scott, who produces the show, uh, thank to our thanks to our presenting sponsors, the great folks over at SweetSweatSweetSweat.com for more and uh, Superbook. Man, they America's best bet. Check them out at Superbook. Okay, for everybody, thank you guys. We'll be back with you next week.